This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Pastor has uh, asked me to pray uh, before he preaches, uh, so let's go to the Lord with prayer. Oh God, we thank you for this time together. Lord, it is a blessing to be among your people. It is great to know that all our sins are forgiven at the cross, that Christ himself is our righteousness, that we stand before you with no righteousness of our own, but that in Christ we are able to approach your throne. We thank you for the grace that you allow us to stand in. We thank you for your word. God, we pray that you open our hearts to hear from you today. Oh, God, speak to us. Help us to hear whatever we need to hear, God. Help us to hear it, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Bless our pastor as he speaks. May we hear from you. May you be glorified. May we come away built up in the faith. I ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 16 in verse 13 as we finish going through 1 Corinthians and uh, start something a little different at the beginning of the year. My wife and I just celebrated our 33rd anniversary. Praise the Lord. Um, as I've said before, I, I do have one gr- regret in marrying Laura. That's that I'll never be able to be married to her as long as Adam and Eve were married. Um, But uh, with that, uh, remember to keep in prayer, please keep in prayer that service we're going to have in two weeks at Sunset Acres. Um, Just a great opportunity, an opening of the door for the gospel there. And uh, so please remember that. Uh, And if you are wanting to come and, and sing carols with us, and uh, please do that. We'll have a, a fellowship meal right after the service, and that means we, we whoever's staying, please bring something to share uh, to eat. But then at one, right before 1 o'clock, we'll head up to Sunset Acres, and we'll have uh, that service there. So please remember that, and please uh, come out and be part of that ministry. 1 Corinthians 16 13 and 14, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. As the Apostle Paul concludes his message to the Corinthians, as he concludes that letter that he's given to the Corinthians. He's admonishing them. He's reminding them and encouraging them as they have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in Him. This is what Paul is describing here. Four important things that he encourages you and I to look to as we seek to walk as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord. 
the first one is watch carefully. Watch carefully. He says, be on the alert. Watch carefully. And this, this word has two ideas to it. Uh, first of all, be watching in prayer. Be watching in prayer. Uh, we see one of the first times this word shows up is in Matthew 26, 41 in the gospel account at uh, the night of Jesus' betrayal. And he, he encourages his disciples. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And so he encourages his disciples to stand up or kneel down, if you would, however you pray, and pray. Stand up, watch, and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. There is a need for you who have received Christ as Savior to be alert in prayer. We so easily fall prey to temptation. So easily we fall prey to temptation. And Jesus called His disciples that night to give themselves to prayer to avoid temptation. Paul, I believe, is calling you and I to the very same thing. Be alert in prayer. Don't fail to pray. Being alert in prayer recognizes your own weakness. And calling out to God to support you is the aspect of recognizing how weak you are. You know, prayer only requires faith as of a mustard seed. That's all it requires. Prayer is simply acknowledging, I am weak and God, I need you. That's the mustard seed of faith, calling unto God. That's the, the very first thing that a person can do. It's, it's a plea to God to help in time of need. And if you fail to be alert in prayer, you will fail. If you fail to be alert in prayer, you will fail. I think the example of Jesus Christ and His prayer life is an admonition to each one of us, to every Christian, of the importance of daily ongoing prayer. If the Son of God saw His need to commune with His Father early, daily, who are you to think you should succeed in your walk with Christ apart from prayer? Be on the alert. Paul says it also. He uses that same word in Colossians chapter 4. Um, in verse 2, he says, devote yourself to prayer. Be alert in it with a spirit and attitude of thanksgiving. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be alert in it. Here's this prayer context in using this word. Be alert. He calls for every Christian to be devoted to the custom, to the habit of prayer. Be habitually in prayer. Keeping alert in it. Keeping alert means you're looking for those things you need to call out to God to. You're ready at any moment. You're vigilant 
to call out to God, to seek Him. Uh, you know, my brother is like that. He is ever vigilant. He's always on, always on the alert. That was his, probably from his background, his work, his training. He's, he's always on. He's ready to respond when there's a need that calls for him to intervene. That's why I think probably it's so good he's on the uh, security team. Keeps me feeling safe. But this is what Paul is describing for someone who sees their need to pray. To be ready at all times. Being alert in prayer means this very same thing. You're ready to respond, to call out to God as you see the need. And that all these things ought to be part of our calling out to Him. It's a conscious choice that requires diligence to know that apart from prayer, nothing of eternal value will ever be accomplished. It's a recognition of that. Whatever you set yourself to do, if the Lord is not in it, your labor is in vain. That's the truth. And so you need to make up your mind to be alert in prayer. It's the single most important thing that the Christian can do to be able to operate in accordance with the will of God. Because in it, you have to determine what is God's will and God, how are you going to work through me in that? And so we see this as a Christian. You need to accomplish, and you'd want to accomplish, God's work in the world. And so be alert in prayer. Be alert in prayer. But there's a second aspect to this word, not only just to be alert in prayer, but there's an aspect of working in hope. See, it's, it's watching in prayer and working in hope. And it, as as the idea that I need God, we call out to Him in prayer, the aspect is we have a responsibility to carry out God's work around us while we're waiting for Jesus Christ to return. He's coming back. And we see this here. It it reflects when we pray and watch. We see that we need to be working in hope of this return. And this word is used in context of Jesus' return. Mark chapter 13, uh, Jesus uses this word again and again as He describes your attitude and my attitude in looking forward to Christ's return. In Mark chapter 13, He says, take heed, keep on the alert. There's the word. For you don't know when the appointed time will come. We don't know how long we have. Do your work for the Lord now. Not, I'll do it sometime in the future when I have more time. Not sometime later. Today is the day we're to serve Him. Verse 34. It's like a man away on a journey who on leaving his house, putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Are you serving Him? Are you working for Him like He is coming back? Like the doorkeeper who's waiting and watching. Is my master here yet? 
I'll be opening up for him. Verse 35, he says it again. Therefore, be on the alert. For you don't know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning. In case he should come suddenly and find you all asleep. And he says it again in verse 37. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. So it's an idea of working in hope. The Lord Jesus is going to return. Can you, can you sense the world's preparation for it right now? The world is trying, the world's system run by the devil is seeking to set up this one world government. And I don't believe it's, it's been so clearly portrayed as it has been in these last couple of years. It's so clearly being seen, this, this one world government, like the old Babylon, like Babel, like the Tower of Babel, where the, the world came and said, no, I am going to do what we want. We're going to set up a tower here and make a name for ourselves instead of doing what God had said. And this is what this, is what this one world government is going to be, to oppose Jesus' rule over the nations. The Antichrist is coming, who will then be blown away by the power of Jesus' return. Jesus is coming back, and we have opportunity now to serve Him. We have opportunity now to do the work for which He's called us to bring the gospel to others. There is time to serve Him now, and you need to be alert in it. Paul says, if you've received Christ as Lord and Savior, you're not in darkness over this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he describes that in verses 4 and following. He says, you brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. And he, and he describes this. Jesus is coming. He's bringing His salvation. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another, build one another up as you are doing. And so as he describes that, it's, it's showing us here. We have the opportunity to serve Him now, not to be caught unaware. He's back now? We don't know when. You are saved. You who are here, who have been saved, have been saved for a purpose. You've been bought with a price. God saved you so that you would proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That you might have the light of the gospel of Christ shining out as you speak it to others as you share that with others. And so we are to be alert in the work that God has called us to do. <clears throat> and Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, there will be a blessing for those who remain alert, those who serve Him until He comes. He said, when His Master comes and finds Him doing what He ought to be doing, He will sit down and serve Him. And both of these ideas... Watching in prayer and working in hope are described. They're both found in 1 Peter 5, in chapters 5 and 4. You have this together. 
You have both of these, these, these aspects together with this word. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert for your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So how are we to be alert? Verse 7 of chapter 4, the end of all things is near. Here's that watching and working. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Seeing what God is doing in our midst, that we have a short time. Be alert. Watch carefully. Be watching in prayer. Be working in hope until the Lord returns. But the second admonition that Paul gives is stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. And Paul uses this phrase to call those Christians at Corinth to not turn away from the faith of the gospel. The connection is very clear when he uses that same word in Galatians chapter 5. He says, stand firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, a yoke of bondage. You know, when Paul wrote to the churches in, in Galatia, they were experiencing a concerted effort by those Judaizers, those who had come out of Judaism, and they were telling people, they were telling the Gentiles, unless you are circumcised and obey the law of Moses, you can't be saved. Paul said, that's not the gospel that's been preached. It's not a gospel of works. It's a gospel of grace through faith. And he said, stand firm in it. That's what Paul's admonishing the Corinthians to do. Don't move away from the faith of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. He was reminding them that they were freed from that bondage of law-keeping, and they were to walk with a clear conscience through faith in the gospel, that Christ has cleansed us and He's made us righteous in His sight, and that we can walk in that freedom. Paul says we need to stand firm in the faith because it's so simple. The devil wants to throw all kinds of things against that and add to the simplicity of salvation by faith. You know, in in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul was saying the same thing to the Philippians. Uh, He says, I want to be able to hear that you are with one mind standing firm in the faith of the gospel, not being upset by those who are opposing you, by your opponents, which is to them an evident sign of their destruction, but to you of salvation from God. He says that you stand firm in the faith with one mind set on the gospel. He he wanted them to be encouraged in the midst of this opposition they were receiving at Philippi, in the midst of this persecution that was going on, he didn't want them to back down He didn't want them to run away from what they were to be doing, to be fearing when their opponents sought to harm them, to stand firm in the gospel. They had no need to apologize for the good news of Jesus Christ that leads to salvation to all who believe. As Paul said in Romans chapter 1, it's the power of God for all who believe for salvation. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm in it. Don't move away from it. For those who are either 
like those in the churches of Galatia, those who are seeking to add works to salvation, or those who are seeking to oppose by, by physical harm like that in Philippi, don't, don't back down from standing firm in the faith of the gospel so that the gospel is perverted by adding to it. You know, I think God has made the gospel so very simple for us because if He had made it complex, if He had made it difficult, if He had made it like mining Bitcoin, only a few could be saved. God wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And there are four parts, if you think about it, there are four parts to the gospel And if you keep these in your mind, not only will it assure your own heart before God, but it will allow you to clearly give the gospel to others. Think about how, how simple this is. Sin, judgment, the cross and resurrection, and faith. Think about this. You are a sinner under the expectation of God's holy judgment. And yet God in His love through Jesus Christ intervened by going to the cross on your behalf, taking your penalty, your judgment upon Himself, and then rising from the dead calls you to believe in Him. And if you by faith will call On the Lord's name, you will find forgiveness and eternal life to be saved. Four simple things, sin, judgment, the cross and resurrection, and faith. Think of that and think about how we are to stand firm in that because the world and the devil and even our own flesh wants to pervert that truth because our own flesh says, well, it can't be that easy. Well, I've got to do something. Well, I've got, to, I've got to be proud of myself. That's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel breaks down every semblance of pride against our own effort to make it to heaven. And so you see those four things. The world perverts it. The devil perverts it. Our flesh perverts it. How? Think about the way that these four things are all perverted by the world and its system. Think about this, sin. The world redefines sin. It redefines sin. Oh, it's a psychological problem. It's not sin. You can't help it. It's psychological. Or, you know what, sin, what you call sin, that's just a social construct. You see, depending on where you live in the world, that's not so bad. Or that's okay. You, you can, that's all right. No, no, no. That's not the case. You know, as if God didn't give the law and the commandments as a firm standard. The world's doing that all the time. I forget who Ted Turner, the, the media mogul guy from Time, uh, used to own Time, right? He, he said if... if If God was only giving ten commandments, I don't think adultery should be one of them. You you see, 
Ted Turner is not the standard. Praise God. The world is seeking to change that. Why? Because if I can change what sin is, I can change whether I need a Savior or not. I can save myself. You know, or we minimize sin, right? I mean, what's the harm in that? If I'm not hurting someone else, what's, what's wrong with that? Well, besides the fact that every individual is valued by God and your sin sends you to hell, rightly, justly, well, that affects you very gravely, doesn't it? There is no such thing as sin that does not harm or does not harm others. It's not. How does the world redefine, change, pervert the idea of judgment? God's judgment, God's holiness means that He must judge sin. The world says, maybe you've heard somebody say that, my God wouldn't judge me for that. My God wouldn't judge me for that. He knows my heart. Exactly why He's going to judge you. Uh, Judgment? Oh, God wouldn't send anyone to hell. He's a loving God. That's why you need a Savior. Because we are all in danger of hell. Because our sin separates us from God. You know what? God's judgment isn't eternal. You know, all will eventually go to heaven. It's, it's funny how we place on God what we would never see in logic or reason to put into our, into our own society, into our own way. I remember I was speaking with my cousin some years ago, and he was talking about, well, God won't send anyone to hell. He won't judge anyone. And as we're talking, it was at a holiday gathering, as we were talking, he, he, he's talking, he owned a restaurant or managed a restaurant, and he, he talked about this young boy who was working as a busboy or something, and he had taken some food and he had put it into a bag to take home because their family was poor, he was taking it home for them. And he said, I had to fire him. It was wrong. So, cousin, I won't mention their name, cousin, You mean to tell me that you are better than God because you have to judge right and wrong, but God can't or won't? See, the world perverts the justice of God, the judgment of God. The cross, how does it pervert the cross and the resurrection? Well, there are other ways to heaven. Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. I think Jesus might take offense at that, considering He Himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by Me. No one comes to the Father but by Me. Islam, Islam, certain factions of Islam say that Jesus never died on the cross. That on his way to the cross, he was switched out with a thief who died in his place. I was talking to one of my friends, one of my Muslim friends, and he said, Oh, we believe the same thing as you. I said, Really? Oh, we believe that Jesus uh, was a son of God? I said, Yeah, but you don't believe he went to the cross. Well, no. 
We said, well, then there's no grace. There's no grace for you. We believe that it's only by the grace of God that a person can get to heaven. Oh, I believe grace. We need grace to get to heaven. And if I work hard enough, God will give it to me. Oh, my friend, you need a definition of what grace is. It is not what is earned. It is what is given as a gift. The cross and the resurrection are perverted. You know what? Jesus' death on the cross was just a symbol of God's love. Okay. Please explain that to me. Uh, So the Father just killed Jesus as a symbol of how much He loved Him. How much He loved us. Hope He doesn't do that to me. Um, Jesus didn't rise bodily from the dead. It was just an appearance spiritually. He didn't really rise from the dead. Well, guess what? Then neither will you or I. That's what Paul said. That's what we just, re- just went through in chapter 15. How long did it take us to get through chapter 15? It was all about the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection. Bad company corrupts good morals, good doctrine. And then lastly, how does the world pervert faith? Sin, judgment, the cross and the resurrection and faith. How does the world pervert faith? You just, you know, it's not just believing. I mean, you have to live a good life too or else God won't accept you. I love Romans chapter 4 where Paul says that God makes righteous the ungodly by faith. He makes righteous the ungodly. As soon as you begin to add to faith on our part, you begin to pervert the faith of the gospel. You know what? You don't have to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You can just believe. It's not what the Scripture says. If you believe in your heart, you call upon Him, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, there's, there's no two ways around that. That's what God has laid out. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the, what's the, what's the idea that puts my faith into action? calling on the name of the Lord. Do I believe it? I'll call upon Him. I'll receive Him. And so we we see this. We recognize these things pervert the gospel, which is so simple, faith. We want to add to that. We want to just say, it's not what God has described for us. Faith in the gospel Those four things, do you have them now? Sin, judgment, the cross and resurrection, faith. Stand firm in that, for that is the good news of this. And 
Tonight, we're going to look at these last two. What do they mean? What does it mean when Paul says, act like a man, be a man? What does it mean when he says, for us to be strong spiritually? What does he mean when he, when he crowns it all with, do all that you do in love? What does he mean? We're going to look at that tonight, but let me, let me ask this. For you who are here, you who have never received the gospel of Christ, there's never been a time in your life when you've responded to the good news of the gospel. We see that through the book of Acts. From the day of Pentecost onward, there were those that were saved when they heard the gospel and believed, called upon the name of the Lord. We see sin. You're a sinner under that judgment. But God has provided the way by which you might be saved through His cross, through His resurrection. If you would but simply believe that that was sufficient to pay for all your sin and call upon Him, He will receive you. That's the truth. Now, you're here. You've never received it. If, if you're here, sitting here, there's never been a time in your life where you've called on the name of the Lord. Would you receive it? What's kept you? What excuses have you made in the past? Your life will not go on forever. I don't care how young or old you are. You don't have unlimited time. I don't care if you're young. Something that breaks my heart to this day. When I was a junior in, in, in college, I was sharing the gospel with this, I, I'm not sure what grade she, what, what, what year she was in, um, sophomore maybe. I shared the gospel with her. I tried to, I began to. See, my, 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 what breaks my heart is that I didn't lay out the gospel right there. I'd given her a Bible. I talked. She had a she had a problem with the Trinity. We talked about the Trinity. I should have talked to her about what would have saved her, the gospel. And we went away for a Christmas break. She was killed in a car accident. And I don't know if she heard or understood the gospel because of that. Don't say, "Well, I'm young. I've got." Time to receive the Lord. I'll do it later. You don't know. You can be on your way home, be involved in an accident, and not have an opportunity to call on the Lord. Don't make any excuses, please. If you're without Christ, if you've not received Him, don't make any excuses any longer. Call upon Him. And as we close our service, I'm going to ask, if you need Christ as your Savior, as we begin to sing the invitation song, would you just come? Somebody will come here and pray with you, and you can receive Christ today. Please, don't put that off. Don't make an excuse any longer. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you, O oh God. I bless you. I thank you for your mercies that are in Christ. I thank you for Paul's admonition to stand firm in the faith. That God, if there are those here without you today, that they would call upon your name. And for 
your own children who are here, that they would see in the gospel what it is they need to stand firm in and have the hope and joy and peace because you have done it. You have done it all. You have saved through your Son. Oh God, please, I pray you would work in this time for your sake and your glory in Jesus' name. And turn to hymn 471. That's 471. The way of the cross leads home. As we sing, the way of the cross leads home. Would you come, please? If you need the Lord, please receive Him as your Savior. Come as, as we sing, the way of the cross leads home. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go the way of the cross leads home. And that second verse, come, please, if you need Christ. needs go on in the wrinkled way the path that the Savior trod if I ever climb to the height sublime where the soul is at home with God the way of the cross leads home the way of the cross leads home it is sweet to know as I onward go the way of the cross leads home. Pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and for your mercies to us in Jesus. Thank you for the grace that we found in him. Help us, O oh Lord, to be watchful, watching in prayer, working in hope, standing firm in the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, help us. Father, I pray that you'd allow us to bring your word to others this week. The gospel that saves, Lord, for those that need you, those we work with, those that we live beside. God, I pray you'd help us. Father, I thank you for this day, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be dismissed.